Just uh, so you know, following the service um, for COVID concerns, I won't be doing greetings, but I do greet you in the name of the Lord now. Also could be praying for my wife. She is at a bridal shower in 79-degree weather right now in Florida. (laughs) And I know how tough that must be for her. (laughs) But no, she has to travel back, and um, the storms are supposed to hit. And so if you could pray just for safe travel. And she has to work tomorrow night. So we'll be reading verses 6 to 8. This is God's holy and inerrant word. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, we ask now that as you preach to us, uh, that your spirit would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive this word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, since we were off last week, uh, a couple weeks ago we were looking at the Apostle Paul and his last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy, and his final appeal to his son in the faith, Pastor Timothy. And his greatest concern as he looked out into the future of the church is that Timothy would not give in to those who wanted to have their ears tickled. See, despite not having Christians who desire sound doctrine, in fact, they want to do away with it, despite Christians wanting their ears tickled, Paul says, don't preach the word. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with with complete patience and teaching. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And that's why Paul says what he says in verses 6 to 8. See, one reason he charges Timothy is because he knows that this apostasy is coming, those who will desert the faith. But another reason he charges Timothy is because he knows that his own time on this earth is short. He knows he's not long for this world. And so after giving his final charge to Timothy in verses 1 to 5, Paul now gives his final testimony in verses 6 to 8. And in these verses, what Paul is doing is he's looking back over 30 years of ministry. He heard the gospel as a young man, and he went through the experiences that we've looked at over the weeks and months. And now he's an old man living out his final days in a Roman dungeon, waiting to be executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, as for you... Speaking of Timothy, and that's what we looked at. But now in verse 6, he says, for I, or as some translated, as for me. And so as for you, Timothy, preach the word and fulfill your ministry. As for me, my days of preaching and ministry are over. He's basically saying this, I know that I must die. The day is coming. And so Timothy, my son in the faith, Timothy, the pastor, preach the word, 
For I, says verse 6, as for me, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, in that verse, verse 6, Paul uses two different metaphors here. First, the reference to being poured out as a drink offering, that's an Old Testament, refers to the Old Testament drink offering found in, in the book of Numbers. The offering was composed of wine in contrast as, or as a replacement to a similar offering that was often found in pagan religions. Pagan religions used blood for their offerings. Well, according to Numbers 28, the Jews were to use a hin of wine. A hin's about a gallon. And they were to take that gallon of wine and pour it out before the Lord in the sanctuary as an offering. And so Paul is saying this whole ordeal that I'm going through, uh, being in prison, and particularly my pending martyrdom where I'm going to be executed, it it's really serves as a libation to the Lord. It, it's a drink offering to the Lord. My blood, my life, he's saying, is being poured out before the Lord. That's the first metaphor. The second metaphor uh, Paul uses to speak of his death it is found in the word departure. And at the time of my departure, or the time of my departure has come. Now, that word departure can mean the loosening of the ropes when a tent is being taken down. So the tent's up, you loosen the ropes, and you take the tent down. Or the unyoking of an animal from a cart or a plow. Or, or it can also be used of the release of the lines when a ship leaves the dock. And so it's tied off, and then they release them, and it goes off. And so these two metaphors here, what Paul is doing and using them is sharing with us his view of the Christian's view of death, his view, the biblical view of death. See, Paul didn't think of himself as being executed. He knew his days were short. He knew he was being executed, but he didn't look at it that way. That wasn't his perspective. He thought of himself as going to offer his life to God. All of Paul's life, as we've studied it, we have seen that it's been an offering to God. He, he's given up his time, his strength, his money, his intellect, his heart devotion. He really only had one thing left to give, and that was life itself. And he was ready to pour that out as well. See, death for the Christian, Paul is communicating to us, death for the Christian is an offering to God. But not only that, Paul sees himself as a soldier gathering his tent uh, for the next stop. He sees himself as being unyoked from his burdens, as the metaphor implies. He sees himself as a sailor launching out on a new journey. And so one writer put it this way, death for the Christian is laying down their burden in order to rest, is laying aside the shackles in order to be free. It's dismantling a temporary campsite in order to take up residence in the heavenly places. It's casting off the ropes which bind us to the world in order to set sail on the voyage which ends in the presence of God. And then he says these words, who then shall fear death? You see, beloved, Paul knew that in Christ, we who believe have eternal life. I mean, we, we may take that for granted, but we have eternal life. And so if you read his letters, he could say things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is the gain. 
I'm actually hard-pressed between the two, he says. My desire is to depart from this world and be with Christ. That is far better. He could write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christians would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He could write these words from 1 Thessalonians 4, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. The dead in Christ will rise first. See, the Apostle Paul knew he was about to depart from this world. He was leaving. He knew he was about to die, and yet he wasn't depressed. He wasn't afraid. He would literally agree with the psalmist, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. That is Paul's theology of death. I'm sure there are more details we could look into, but that, that's his biblical view of death. And when you look at verse 7 and 8, he moves from that view of death. And now he shares with us his view of life, as it were, or at least personally his life. He knew where he was heading in death, and now he's going to look back on his life. So he looks back on his last 30 years of ministry, and he's confident to say in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. One pastor says, if Paul had a tombstone, that's what would be written on it. Those words. Three parallel clauses to describe his successful ministry. He has fought the good fight. Both those words, fought and fight, come from the Greek word that gives us our word for agony. And the word was used in Paul's day to refer to the ancient Greek games. And where contestants struggled against each other for supremacy. Any contest that involved exertion, like wrestling, it's a picture of an athlete coming off the field or out of the arena, and he is given his all. And so Paul here is coming off the field of life, and he's handing in his boxing gloves, as it were, his running shoes. And and as he does, he can say, I gave it everything. I, I, I embraced the agony that involved in it. Remember when Paul was converted, Jesus promised him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we've covered his suffering, the things he had to agonize over. He was whipped for the faith. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked for the faith and so on and so on. It was agonizing for Paul to say the least. And yet this is the kind of life that he expects from all Christians. This is what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. And in 1 Timothy 6, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, 1 Timothy 6.12. Every minister, every believer must fight the good fight. See, Paul's desire here is to remind us that as believers, we're not on a playground. We're on a battleground. And I can remember, I'm not sure if I shared this already, but I, I, I remember going to a trainer um, down south, and 
decided it was time to lose the same 50 pounds and over and over again. So I went to this trainer and it was, you know, you pay for a half hour here, half hour there. And I went to work out and I was 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, and I couldn't breathe. And I'm looking at him saying, you're going to have to slow down. I just wanted to stop. I was in agony. That's how I would describe it. And I remember him looking at me, shaking his head, and said, this isn't playtime, Drew. It's not time to play. This isn't playtime. Why? I kind of picture Paul uh, comically, as it were, saying to us today, if we're here, it isn't playtime. It isn't time to play. You're in a battle. You're at war, a battle against the world, a battle against the flesh, a battle against the devil. You need to remember, as disciples of Christ, we were never promised it would be easy. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But see, Paul can look back on his persecution, look back on that warfare that he engaged in, look back on the agony, look back on that fight, and say it was a good fight. Why? How can he say that? And he can say it because it was God's fight. And it always ends in victory. Paul is not saying his fighting was good. It was a good fight. I fought well. He's not saying that. Paul is saying he is fighting in the greatest of fights there is. It's a fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a battle for the kingdom of God. You see, beloved, we know as believers it's a good fight because it's the noblest of fights. And we know it's a good fight because Scripture guarantees that we will emerge from this fight against the world, against the flesh, and the devil as what? As more than conquerors, Paul says, through Jesus in Romans 8. And so he's saying, fight the good fight. Agonize the good agony. Second thing he says, I have finished the race. Now, Paul likens his life here as a follower of Christ to a foot race now. Early in his life, in Acts 20, Paul had this to say, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I, I want to I finish my course. And now, here he is, and, and his race is over. And he's able to say, look, I did it. He's not talking about winning here. He's talking about finishing. He finished. I finished. I did it. That's what I wanted, he's saying. That's what I set my heart on accomplishing earlier in my life, and I accomplished it. That's the goal. You know, it's one thing to start well, right? It's quite another to finish well. And Paul did both. I have finished the race. Well, third, Paul says, I've kept the faith. In this context, he's saying, I've competed according to the rules. I competed according to the rules. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned. Of 2 Timothy 2, we read in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, Greek athletes took a solemn oath 
when they entered the games, and they would compete honorably. They'd be honest in their competing. And so here's Paul at the end of his race affirming his vows and that he's kept them and that he's done it. He competed in the Gospel Olympics, as it were, honorably. He competed uh, honestly. He never wandered from the truth of the gospel. That's the idea. He never went beyond the word of God. This is why Paul could write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He didn't use shameful ways. He didn't use deception. He, he kept the rules. You remember all these charges that Paul gave to Timothy, hold on to the faith in a good conscience. Some have rejected these, he tells them in 1 Timothy 1. He tells Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers, 1 Timothy 4. He says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. He's talking about the, the, the gospel, the, the scriptural teaching. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1. Remember, he said, preach the word. All those charges he gave Timothy, Paul's saying, that's what I did. I did all this. I vowed to keep the faith, and I did it. I vowed to follow the rules of the faith, and I did it. I vowed to adhere to the rules of the faith, to the truths of the faith, and I did it. He followed the biblical rules, as it were, no matter the opposition. He stuck to the Scripture. He never wavered. And so here he is now at the end of his ministry, after all the persecution, after all the agony he received because of the message, because that he kept to the truth, and he's still now at the very end in prison clutching to it. He kept the faith. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. And you know what? He knows it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. There's a reward for this. Look at verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, in those Greek games and the Greek Olympics, the greatest prize was, was the laurel wreath. That was the greatest prize, the, the greatest crown. A victor would emerge and the crown, the wreath would be placed on their head. And it was the greatest honor that an athlete could receive. I mean, we have gold medals now. And he would receive that. And yet, following the analogy of the wreath, are only days after receiving that thing that gave him so much honor that he was so proud of, it would just wither away. It was a wreath. But see, Paul knew that there awaited him a crown for running his race and that it would never fade. And it wasn't a crown of glory. It wasn't a crown of joy. It wasn't a crown of peace either, for that matter. But a crown of what? A crown of righteousness. A crown that the righteous Lord himself would award him on that day. 
Well, in the beginning of his ministry, his salvation, that is, Paul was given the righteousness of Christ. Jesus had already given him those righteousness. And on that day, when Christ returns, that day Jesus returns, he will give him that ultimate crown of righteousness, that permanent state of righteousness. And there's actually a great irony here in this. A great contrast, actually, or God is reversing something in Paul's life. Remember where Paul's headed. He'll get a different verdict from a different Lord. Nero will declare him guilty, and he'll be condemned to death. But see, beloved, the world's verdict won't stand against Paul. Christ will reverse it. Christ is going to declare him not guilty, and he will receive his reward. And the good news is, beloved, and it's important that we understand the life of Paul and we studied this history, but the good news is the crown is not only for Paul or those like Paul. It's for who? What does Paul say? It's for all who have loved Christ appearing. For all those who have believed in Christ and are saved, for all those who have been declared righteous by the righteous judge, for all those who have been forgiven, for all those who have been justified, for all those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, all of them will receive this crown. It's not just for the super-Christians. It's for people like you and me who believe, and, and we want to see the Lord return. Think about it. Doesn't it give you great joy to think that yourself or, or maybe your brother or sister in the Lord or a good friend, a family member that you've loved and maybe lost, all those who have known Christ and loved Christ and embraced the gospel, that even though they or you or me, we've never done anything extraordinary, we're not Billy Graham we're not the Apostle Paul, not that I would put those in the same category, but you get my point. We're, uh, we haven't done anything extraordinary. We simply believe in him. We simply follow him. We rest in him. We yield our lives to him. We depend upon him. We, we, we may share the gospel with people. We, we study the Bible and try to live for him and all those things. But no matter what, we're going to receive the same exact crown as the Apostle Paul. And just like Paul, this is why we don't fear death. This is why we love his appearing, his return. We long for heaven because on that day, when we leave this world, our Savior will be there. And he will crown us. And how will we respond to that? Well, Scripture tells us in Revelation 4 how we'll lay our crowns at his feet. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so Paul's view of death should be your view of death. But Paul's view of life should be your view of life. And that's basically the life of the Apostle Paul. But I want to close with this. See, Paul's final testimony, as I said earlier, does serve as the reason why he knows he's going away that he gives this charge to Timothy in verses 1 to 4. I'm leaving, I'm dying, preach, preach, preach. But it also serves, those words also serve as a final model for you and me. 
Yes, in this life we are in a fight. There is an agony. But the way Paul lived and called Timothy to live is how we also should live. We need to fight the good fight. It's not playtime. We're in a battle. We must finish the race. We must keep the faith. We must finish well. But I have to say, and I've seen it in just my 30 years of ministry, that not everyone, maybe not everyone in this room will finish well. I don't know. That's the reality. That's the bad news. I've known Christians when I first got saved that aren't walking with the Lord now. But here's another reality, and here's the charge to you. Here's the good news. You can finish well. Everyone here can who believes. But it, and, 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 and the real good news is this. You don't have to be a super Christian to do it. You don't have to go off on the mission field, although I encourage it. And I'm grateful for those super Christians that do those very things, but you don't have to do that. You don't need to be a great evangelist like Billy Graham. You don't need to be a preacher. You don't need to be a great theologian. You don't need to be a great anything. You just need to remember you're following a great Savior. That's what you need to remember. As Paul said to Timothy, for I know whom I have believed And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He is able. He is able. He, Jesus, is able. And see, that's what Paul says, and it's true for us. By his grace, you can persevere. If you will simply keep your eyes on Jesus and run the race to please him alone. That's what the book of Hebrews says, actually. Kind of summarizing this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. That word perfecter means finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, that's the agony, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we live this life with our eyes set upon Jesus, running even if it involves the agony, trusting in him. And so I'll let Paul have the final words in this final sermon on the life of Paul. He says this, Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes so you can fight the good fight. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the fighting begins, when the day of agony is upon you, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying 
Ephesians 6, 10 and 18. What's Paul's word to you today? What's the Spirit saying to us? Fight like Paul. Finish like Paul. Keep the faith like Paul. And you will be victorious like Paul and receive your reward like Paul. Let's pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we are weak. We need the strength of your spirit if we are to endure, if we are to fight the good fight. We pray, Lord, that we would indeed finish well. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.